0: Hi, you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review, where we're just a bunch of blind men trying to figure out that elephant. And um, I'm Lou Rosenfeld, the the blindest of us all. Uh, And I am so happy um, to be in the studio here at Brooklyn Podcasting. Um, I really miss this, and I really miss the opportunity to talk with people in a great environment, uh, a professional environment, and here I am, with a big microphone in front of my face and big headphones on my head. I know you can't see it, but uh, hopefully you can hear it. And uh, I'm joined by not one, not two, but three people today. So i um, coming back with a vengeance. Um, I have uh, people who are participating in the Enterprise Experience Conference. Uh, uh, Bob Baxley, uh, who's the, the, the ringleader, the theme leader of the group, which has, I think, Bob something like seven speakers and five talks, or something
1: like that. Uh, four four talks. Yeah,
0: and it's a big I think group. Seven speakers. Yeah. So, so you you're a saint for uh, herding that many cats, and uh, two of the speakers have joined us today: uh, Jamie Kapsack, uh, Cast Zach. I actually got it right before, and Frank Duran. Let me introduce them all really briefly. So, um, Bob uh, is the C- SVP of Design and Experience at ThoughtSpot. Um, If um, that doesn't um, uh, kind of uh, jiggle up a neuron for you, uh, you might remember him as far back as uh, uh, 2002 when his book Making the Web Work came out. Uh, So um, I've known Bob for quite some time and this is my first opportunity to work with him on this conference. So I'm really happy to have you here, Bob. Uh, I've got uh, uh, Jamie, who's the Associate Director of uh, Customer Experience Strategy and Integration at Best Buy in Minneapolis. Hi, Jamie. Hey there. And uh, we have Frank Duran, who's the design director uh, for the bank part of USAA, and uh, is also one of the people who is bringing back with uh, a good vengeance, Boxes and Arrows magazine. Hi, Frank.
2: Hello, Lou. It's
0: great to have you all. So. For those of you who don't know the Enterprise Experience Conference, we used to call it Enterprise UX. Uh, Number six takes place August 31st through September 3rd. It will not be in San Francisco, even though we spent a lot of money on a venue. Uh, What a year. Um, What is happening is the conference has been virtualized and there are four great themes, one per day. And uh, these folks are part of the fourth theme which um, we gave a fancy name, but it's basically we these are folks that are really working at the confluence of, of creating better uh, enterprise experiences that involve many different people from many different silos. And um, if you've ever listened to any of these podcast silos come up a lot and um, they kind of, um, Keep some of us up at night, keep us from sleeping, uh, kind of uh, march through our nightmares. But Bob, um, you know, I gave up consulting because I couldn't get the silos to speak. Are things better now? Are, are you all still having all these nightmares full of silos? <laughs>
1: Well, Lou, let me take a quick step back and just say, one, thanks for having us all on the show today. It's a great privilege to be here. It's uh, been great fun to be a theme leader for Theme 4. The Theme 4 team rocks. We're very excited. Uh, But I also want to say thank you very much for what you guys have been doing for the last few years with this conference, because I do believe that Enterprise UX is really the avant-garde of design. You know, employees are people, too. And I'm glad to see that companies are finally starting to realize that if they can make their employees happy, their employees will do a better job servicing customers. And I do believe that design and software design in particular is one of the most empathetic, important things companies can be doing. If you watch people today, you see how often they feel uh, victimized by this technology that's supposed to be magic. And to me, I believe it's just a failure of design. And so when I see people getting frustrated with their phones or their computers, and I can only imagine the people sitting in call centers dealing with outdated, poorly designed uh, software, you know, I'm glad that the the industry and people like yourself are finally taking this seriously and trying to make the world a better place by making better software.
0: And and doing it virtually. I think I forgot to mention that. Not in San Francisco, but but virtual, which we're cooking up some amazing ideas. Uh, We're, it's kind of a a silver lining of a bad time, just all the innovative things we can do. We'll talk about that another time, Yeah, but back to you, Bob.
1: Yeah, I also, you know, people always talk about how they they miss being in person, but I gotta say, like, I kind of love the fact we're on this call together because we're all over the country, And I feel like I'm with you, even if I'm not physically with you. I do feel like we're all here in this space. And one of the things I love about uh, getting to be theme leader for this conference is our speakers are from all over the country. We've got uh, two groups of folks from uh, Minneapolis. I've never really worked with folks from Minneapolis, but we've got people that work in retail. And I guess I somehow missed the memo that Minneapolis is essentially the Silicon Valley of retail. So we've got a team from Target. We've got another team from Best Buy two phenomenal companies. Uh, we've also got Frank coming in from USAA, and then we've got another speaker from Mozilla. Um, so it's, it, it, I think it's also important for design, for our profession in general, to be spanning out of this little monoculture of Silicon Valley and bringing in way, way, way more diverse opinions and points of view uh, across every dimension of diversity imaginable.
0: So, so. speaking of that diversity, I mean, our, talk a little bit about the, the the lineup of talks. Is that really kind of cutting across uh, a lot of different
1: silos
0: and uh, experiences within the enterprise?
1: Yeah, so we've got four different talks. The first one's from Abby Smiley and Silas Souza, uh, who are both at Target. And their talk's called Scaling UX, Past the Size of Your Team. Um, and here they're kind of talking about how to how to make... Uh, design more effective across the larger organization, establishing U.S. practice in a retail area. Um, Another talk is from Sharon, uh, who's at Mozilla. Her talk's called Time to Make the Donuts, How User Research Helped Bridge Desperate Teams. Uh, not desperate teams, des- disparate teams. And desperate, um, perhaps. <laughs> potentially. <laughs> so uh, here it's trying to help get out of just the silo of design and even potentially uh, outside the silo of the product organization in particular. And then I'll let uh, Jamie and uh, Frank uh, introduce more or give more details about their talk. Uh, just for completion here, though, Jamie's talk is called uh, Not Your Ordinary Rebrand. And she's giving that in conjunction with Sarah, who's also at Best Buy. And then Frank's uh, talk is called Partnership Playbook, Lessons Learned in Effective Partnership. And one of the things I really liked about this theme and about these four talks is it's really trying to um, help people understand how to get beyond product, the product org, how to make design something across all of an organization. Because one of the things I definitely learned in my um, almost eight years at Apple is that truly design-driven companies, its design is embedded throughout the organization, you know, Everybody in every function is thinking about a designer and they're constantly asking how to make things better. It's not just this team called design. So I'm well, particularly you know- excited Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say I'm particularly excited to see these talks, you know, and to experience the all of them in sequence because I think it's going to start to point the way as to how we get out of our little world of design.
0: Well, and and if you're all wondering, um, th- this whole thing of having speakers and a theme leader like Bob, they, they've been working. They'll be have been working like four or five months on their talks, iterating together, uh, starting with an idea and polishing it together until it's a a, a great talk that you can experience. Um, But you know the the idea of design being in the organizational DNA, like at a place like Apple, um, is a great place. uh, It's a great place to be for designers. But um, Jamie, when you started this rebranding project at Best Buy, was that the case? Was the DNA already in place?
3: No, I would I would say some of the DNA was in place. Um, Very luckily, I mean at Best Buy um i would say i would say our rebrand was really a culmination of who we are on our on our best days really and so i think a lot of us are really in this place where we want to be customer obsessed and we we have that as kind of a grassroots piece but then when you get into the consistency of the experience and how we're doing that that's like what we really needed so i think the spark in the dna was there but then we really needed to organize and create that consistency through a customer experience vision that was rooted in our brand strategy, which I think is a really important distinction.
0: So why don't you tell the story a bit? How did this get going and and uh, what were some of the, the the interesting challenges along the way?
3: Yeah, I, how it got going is I think, you know, it was just, it was time to rein, reinvigorate our, our brand, but I, it wasn't just um, a you know, font refresh or a logo. It was really around describing a culture of who we wanna be. Um, And we're really here to enrich lives through technology, very simply is our purpose. And so we really wanted to define the behavior that culminated that versus, you know, a color or aesthetic lift. So we really resulted in describing our behaviors, which is we're gonna be human, we're gonna make it real for people. Um, and we're gonna think about tomorrow and everybody uses technology in different ways and that changes over time, whether that's life stages or you start a family or, or even COVID, <laughs> I'm working at home now. Um, so we really needed to bring that to life behaviorally as a company.
0: So um, it sounds great, but I imagine uh, there's a lot of, um challenges in terms of uh, making that happen. I mean, can you, can you profile uh, the, the process a bit and, and, uh, you know, looking back on it, um, would you have done some things differently?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, the process was highly collaborative and um, messy in a good way at times. I think we kind of shed the notion of we're going to show everything all packaged and perfect throughout the process. It was really iterative. So, First and foremost, we a talk to our customers like, what does it mean to you to be human or make it real and think about tomorrow? And then brought our executives through that journey. This is what we're hearing. This is what we're describing. This is how the customers feel about us. And so I think through that process of just having everybody a part of that dialogue and rooting it in something that isn't just a, a gut, but is 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 research and in it's based on human behavior really helped that conversation so it really unified, unified that perspective i think the second part is just the approach of audience like I, don't, I think of myself as my role is really that shepherd of of culture but that gets really down into audience management like if this has to move across the organization i have to think about how that impacts from the c suite all the way down to the front line and so i have to think about who those people are What motivates them? What are their needs? What are they trying to accomplish? Because the EX equals CX. So I have to think about that combination and think about their needs. So we tailor a lot of what we educate or tools or how you bring that vision to life based on the audience, which is way more complicated, but for us has been a lot more fruitful because it's tailored um, in in spirit of design to the, the user, if you will. So it's a different way of thinking about culture management if so, you will.
0: Well one of the interesting things about any kind of cross silo or cross disciplinary effort is um it, it's it's difficult to get them going because the dis- disparate pieces don't always speak the same language. So you just mentioned that you know there there's some people who frame things in terms of CX and others in terms of UX. There's you know different terminology, different frameworks, different perspectives. Um and so whoever leads that conversation and, and serves to sort of be the translator between those silos is really important because otherwise the conversation among them can't really happen and, and progress can't happen. Uh, were, were you folks uh, able to be the leaders, or did you uh, employ an agency as sort of like a, a no baggage outsider to, to take on that role? How did you do that? Who,
3: yeah, who kind we of owned the conversation? Used... Yeah, I mean, we use agencies to facilitate the creation. So when we start with the brand strategy, use an agency to do the research and come up with the recommendation, we thought that was for the, um, the, the branding itself. When we went to the CX vision, it was translating our behaviors into actionable guidance on what the experience should feel like to the customer. And we also used a boutique customer experience agency for that. And we not only looked at what does it look and feel like to the customer from their own words, which was really important, but also we talked about measurement at that point. Like how do we actually know Um, If that's going to happen, if we can gauge that and what success looks like in a way we've never done before. So we thought about what the result was to the customer and how they would describe it and then how we would ultimately know if we've done our jobs or not and brought that outside perspective for that. But as far as the actual enablement and putting that to practice, um, that is part of uh, my team's responsibility, but it's not, um, we are not lone wolves in that. And I think that's a Big learning. I partner with HR, our learning development team, our field leaders, our operations leaders. So there's a large suite of people that make this happen. And um, I don't pretend to own it all, which I think is also a big point where we're all in this together and we all play a role. So, like, nobody owns culture, nobody owns customer obsession. My team has leveraged expertise to create the vision, but we provide the guidance, but we also allow the freedom and empowerment of people to take that and apply it into their role. So I think that's what's been unique about the experience.
0: So I have a feeling that uh, Frank's uh, playbook approach might also speak to some of the specifics uh, about how you get these types of conversations to happen. Uh, We'll take a quick break. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review and we'll hear from Frank Duran in just a moment. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you want more, not only do we have a whole bunch of podcasts in our archive, we have something that's very current, very alive, and very engaging for groups, and that is our communities. Rosenfeld Media runs a variety of communities that meet on a monthly basis for video conferences on a variety of topics near and dear to UX people, ranging from enterprise experience to advancing research to design and research operations. I want to encourage you to join one of our communities, again, it is free, by going to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. Not only will you get a monthly video conference that you can listen in on and participate in, ask questions, and so forth, we'll give you access to the recordings, and uh, for some of those communities, we're talking about dozens of recordings with really interesting presenters and facilitators. You'll also get a newsletter. You'll get access to an advice columnist. Yes, we actually are providing advice columnists for each community. And finally, if you're interested in our conferences, our communities correspond to our conferences. So you will be the first to know when, a programs, uh, when programs go live, uh, when tickets go on sale, and by the way, most of our conferences sell out, and other good things about our conferences, such as uh, when the scholarship applications open up. So go to com slash communities. You're going to find something that's free, something that's interesting, and it's a great opportunity to find your tribe as well. We'll see you there. So we were just listening to Jamie uh, Kaspzak from Best Buy talking about the the, the sort of management and ownership of the conversation across silos uh, that... um, Uh, led to a, um, not only a rebrand, but uh, a a rebrand that was much more than a a cosmetic rebrand. Uh, But uh, Frank Duran, you're working at USAA um, uh, on probably some similar challenges. Uh, I'm guessing the playbook that you've been working on is is kind of a, a, a concrete way to not only address, but be ready for some of the challenges along the way of, 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 of getting people across silos to collaborate.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right, Lou. And, um, also thank you for inviting me to the conversation. So I'm really excited to share some of the things I've learned along the way. Right. Um, so I've been at USAA um, for almost 10 years now, uh, which is quite a bit of time. And, and through that, uh, I've been able to Grow relationships within the company, but also um, as an individual contributor and now design leader at USA, you learn how to build those relationships within an enterprise environment, right? And so a lot of the things that I'm going to speak about uh, during my talk, uh, thus, a partnership playbook, is informed by a lot of the experiences and different tactics, different strategies that I've put together over the years. And so What's happened is that this talk has given me the opportunity to really evaluate what's been working well, right? How do I know it's working well? And so part of what you're talking about, what Jamie spoke about, is the the communication part of it. Um, And so that's at the heart of the DNA of what this playbook is about. So how do you establish those communications? How do you know who to talk to in the first place? Um, Who are the decision makers? Who are the advisors? Um, Even though somebody may have a title within your company, and it could be across silos, by the way, so totally recognize that silos are there. But even though they have a title, there's a lot of people that influence decisions within an enterprise. And to be effective about having working partnerships, you need to bring the influencers together, right? And you need to connect those dots for each other. There's so many times that I've been in meetings, um, and I'm sure we can all relate to this, where, you know, things are being brought up, but you might have in your mind a meeting that just happened that morning where somebody else brought up something similar. And so something that I've become, you know, more bold about and not afraid to do is to speak up and say, "Hey, that's a really good point. I heard the same thing or something very similar in another conversation," right? And these are some of those little tactics and strategies of being a connector that has actually, you know, served me well and I hope by incorporating this into a framework that I'm calling a playbook. Uh, I hope that other people can get the benefit of that as well and also recognize their own behaviors, right? There's things that you do every day in an enterprise environment and you're probably doing it subconsciously. You're probably doing it because it's influenced by the culture around you, but there's a lot of good things that you can leverage and then build upon to actually be uh, mindful and act with intent to build stronger partnerships and also evaluate If they're effective or not, right? So, in my mind, showing up to the meeting um, and being invited to the meeting is part one. Uh, But, in order to actually take advantage of that partnership and make it valuable for not only, you know, in our case at USA, our members, we are very member focused, we're a very mission focused company. So, you know, if we say something, uh, that is uh, you know, good or bad or whatever the case might be, we always try to keep the member focus on there. And that's one of those things that uh, we have to evaluate is that if that partnership is effective, that means we're doing better for our membership, right? Um, and, but you have to share that point of view with the group that you're working with, right? Um, and thankfully working at USA, we have we're very mission focused. So that's actually an advantage that I have coming into the company in the first place but it's definitely something that's proved true over time is that there is a core culture within any organization that you're in, and it's always a good idea to leverage that to make sure that you're building those strong partnerships, right?
0: So I, w- I just want to jump back to a point you're making about partnerships. You you mentioned that it's important, obviously, to to know who the stakeholders are. That is the stuff of the partnership is whom you're you're partnering with. Uh, Absolutely. And, um, you know, In a large enterprise, one of the challenges, of course, is you know there are the known stakeholders and then there are the unknown stakeholders. And, and you need to know about those. Uh, and especially if you are, don't have the benefit of 10 years in the enterprise like you do. I mean, if someone is fairly new, there is this challenge of, of the mapping of the enterprise in terms of who makes decisions about what and how things actually get done. Uh, I don't know if that's something you're able to address in the playbook but I'd love to know your thoughts on how uh, anyone who is, you know, even if they're not new to an enterprise can start um, uh, 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 mapping the environment and getting a sense of whom they need to start building partnerships with.
2: Well, well, Lou, you must be, have already previewed my deck because that's exactly what's in there as well. So that's a great awesome. connection. Thank you for that. I have that. not. That's, so I'm glad <laughs> here. Uh, but that that's exactly right. That's, that's part one of, creating those connections is you, you have to do a stakeholder map. You have to go, uh, you know, knock on some doors virtually, so to speak. Right. And and uh, get to know some folks. And uh, part of that is uh, asking the right questions and being upfront about what the need is in the first place. Uh, so that's something that I found has been very effective for me. Uh, I work in a very large organization. A lot of really smart, talented people, but of course, a bank has a lot of moving parts, let alone a financial services company where we have insurance and many other financial products as well. So a lot of different people are in charge of different things. So you have to be able to show up and say, hey, I'm, I'm looking to collaborate because of this. This is what I'm looking for. Here's the kind of feedback I'm looking for. Here's the ask that I have when you're upfront about that kind of ask, when you're you know, finding out who is the right person to include or talk to, that's what generates for me a great uh, stakeholder map, for lack of a, of a better analogy at this point, but it, it's a great stakeholder map or influencer map, probably is a better way to say it, to understand who should be involved in that conversation. Because there is typically, uh, at least in, in my environment, uh, one business stakeholder that's the main stakeholder Uh, but seldomly is that the only person that's being affected by what you're trying to do. So if you're designing a new service, updating a product, whatever the case might be, there's downstream impact and you have to make sure that those other people are at the table. So when you clarify that we're looking at, this is what we're trying to do. And you bring that ask up front, that helps arm the person that you're talking to. And uh, they have the information that you don't have. So they're able to point out, okay we probably need to inclo- include you know joe and susie as well because of this reason and then of course you know uh, if they if they need to be included great if they don't need to be included that's okay too but it's better to be armed with more information by having a concrete ask mm-hmm. when you're meeting people than you know showing up and saying well we want to do this thing and if you leave it gray and and kind of like can you help me out it's it's you know often one of those conversations that don't generate a lot of value for anybody.
0: So the concrete ask is is the the, the clear need if you're going to have those kind of conversations successfully, and I'm I'm guessing a, uh, augmented occasionally with a uh, uh, a free lunch or a shinerbach. <laughs> uh,
2: well, probably <laughs> probably not a shinerbach. Uh, although thank you for the Texas call out. That's awesome uh but uh yeah definitely lunch so one of the things that i think we have all heard from each other um, as a design community in general no matter what company you're at is that the the hallway conversations have gone away right and uh yeah so bob bob i think has mentioned something like that as well uh and so part of the challenge for us now now that we're all virtual and we're setting up specific time to be with each other, um, and, and create those hallway environments. Um, I think that's more important that you have that concrete ask. Uh, we're having to filter so many things now I get meeting invites all day long. And I know every morning I do uh, what's called a meeting triage. And part of the meeting triage that I'm doing is informed by who are the partners I need to connect with today. What is what am I trying to accomplish, right? What projects are currently happening? What are the routines? So that's another part of the playbook there is establishing communication routines that I need to participate in because one of the things that we try to employ, uh, again, giving you a little sneak preview content here is there's a product management um, idea. Uh, So if you think about product management, uh, we talk about a three in the box model, right? So you want business, you want tech, you want design there. And um, there's... For banking, legal is also a big one, too. So for me, that three-in-the-box model is actually a little bit larger than just three. Uh, but you you want those key representatives there, right? And you need to establish those routines. And so you also need to engage in those routines because your behavior of engaging those routines shows other people how important those routines are in the first place, right? Uh, so we also have to be uh, aware of what we're modeling for our partners as well because how we participate is how we're telling them to participate with us.
0: Right. Got it. Well, um Bob, I know you wanted to, to add something. Yeah, to I wanted ask. to jump in here just for sure. a
1: second. So I wanted to go back to something that Frank said earlier about um you know, the, the the value of bringing people together and, and helping them understand where there's inconsistencies. Um, and that when we talk about companies breaking into silos, you know, I don't think it's necessarily intentional. It's just operational efficiency, leads, technology groups, for example, like engineering groups tend to get focused on particular stacks, particular elements of the, f- the functionality. PMs tend to be organized around particular feature sets or areas of functionality. You know, I think what's particularly powerful and unique about design is we're one of the few organizations that sees everything. So in my role at ThoughtSpot, you know, we have design reviews for the whole team twice a week, and it's really the only place in the company where all of the work gets seen in a single forum. And I think everyone inside a company naturally, when they see inconsistencies in the experience and, and, the, and they realize that the end user is going to see some inconsistency, they naturally want to try to fix those consistencies. When you see people kind of get dogmatic and dig into their position, it's often just because they don't have the same level of information or completeness of information of everyone else. So I think there's something really powerful about design to play this connector role. And to just help all these different groups understand Um, and and as the design team, I think once you get in there, you don't necessarily have to push your opinion around so much like just getting people in the room and sort of, you know, in in our case, like showing them comps and saying, well, you said, you know, this page looks like this and then the, the user, the next page they see looks like that and like Come on, that's totally horked, man. You know, like uh, people will recognize that pretty quickly. And one of the things I love about some of the stuff Jamie was saying and Frank, but also the folks at Target and Mozilla is all of these organizations are really focused on their end users. You know, Frank talked about members and, you know, just that 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 notion. Those, these are all companies that are really motivated to serve their end users. And so you can use that as a powerful tool inside these companies to sort of say, well, this is actually what our end user is seeing. And that's probably not what you meant, you know? So you guys should get together and, you know, you folks should get together in these different departments and compare notes and try to create something that makes sense for everybody on the outside. And, and Baba,
0: I'm just dying to ask because, you know, you were at Apple, which is sort of a black box for the rest of the world. Uh, is you uh, Can you tell us if, if Apple has a lot of the same challenges and did you address them in similar ways or... Or are well, you so uh, uh, uh sworn to uh, keep your mouth shut?
1: No, no, no. So look, Apple isn't a black box. Apple's you know has a unique operating culture. Um, but there's nothing that Apple does that every other company couldn't do. There's no magic or fairy dust there. It's just operational discipline. And uh, I worked there during kind of the ascendant years of the iPhone when Steve was still alive. And the company was purposely and intentionally very siloed at that point in time, because it really helped each individual organization focus on the thing they needed to do. And then there was a lot of coordination at the top of the company. And so I think representative of this is when there would be a new product launch, there was a room set up that would have all the uh, marketing materials from retail, from the online store, from the different conferences, advertising. Like there was a room where the executives could walk in and see all the messaging across all these different mediums. And as soon as you have a room like that set up, you can see all the gaps. You know, a lot of like if you walked around Apple, there's a lot of rooms that just have comps printed up on the wall, you know, that shows like the whole user flow. And, you know, I haven't seen that in a lot of other companies. You know, they just don't stitch everything together and really walk through um, the entire the entire flow end to end. A friend of mine at Google, who also used to work at Apple, he's got a great way of describing this. And he describes it the factory model versus the guild model.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of companies have this factory model. I do my piece and then I pass it down to the next group. And nobody's really responsible for the whole thing soup to nuts. And it also means that you don't you don't really feel that accountable and you don't feel any creator level investment you know a company like apple is really a guild model you know there's there's very very small design teams working on these products and they feel you know that the design product and engineering teams feel a ton of ownership to deliver the best possible photos app the best possible camera app and they see the whole thing soup to nuts every nook and cranny of it it's not like they do one piece and then pass it down to the assembly line
0: well that's critical and and uh I've been having a lot of conversations lately with uh, fellow information architects who feel like there's a, a huge, uh, uh, well, just around the corner there's going to be a huge demand uh, for people who can kind of look at the, those bigger, uh, really look at the systems level and, and look at integration, which is very much an IA thing, it's a service design thing, there's a lot of other folks, but it's good to know that and to be reminded that the individuals who are maybe focused on a product can be and should be put in a position to think bigger. Hey, folks, um, I, I, um, this has been fantastic. I, um, I think we could go for a couple more hours. But uh, uh, if you're listening, um, uh, I think you know, you're probably dealing with some of these problems, especially if you work in a large enterprise. But even if you don't, I mean, I, I, my company's under 10 people and, and we're dealing with silos. And I feel like I've taken something out of today's conversation for Rosenfeld Media. Uh, you can learn more. Uh, I hope you will join us for Enterprise Experience uh, August 31st through September 3rd. It's uh, virtual. It's less expensive for that reason. You can just go to the one day, namely uh, this day, if you wanted, on, on September 3rd for uh, this theme uh, that Bob Baxley uh, is leading and that Jamie Kapsack and Frank Duran are speaking at. Uh, they gave us a great taste of what they're going to be covering. Oh, or come for all four days. Either way, I hope we'll see you. Uh, enterpriseexperience.net virtual August 31st through September 3rd. And uh, the three of you, lovely to have you join us today. Thanks so much. Great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Lou. Great to be with you. Thank you,
2: Lou. Appreciate
0: it. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at RosenfeldReview.com.